This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. You know, I'm like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. You're like, yeah, yeah, just coming home with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but, you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if, if you're only going to shoot one duck... Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Foul Front, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Foul Front. To sign up, head over to foulfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska raised and dry aged premium beef. We are live. All right, good evening and welcome back to another episode of Foul Front Outdoors. And this evening, um, we've, we've kind of been a little bit hit or miss the last few weeks on the topics and episodes. So a lot of us are in various forms of transition right now. And we uh, had a topic come up via our text message chats and we wanted to address it, talk a little bit about it. And I'm sure we will revisit this topic come the season when we have some live data and some experiences to throw with it. But this evening, uh, you know, Thomas, we got to throw some credit to you for this, for like putting this together. So talk to us a little bit about who um, who and what we're going to be discussing this, uh, right now. Yeah, so this evening we're going to be having my uh, buddy Andy Martell on. Andy um, can tell you about himself, honestly, if you just want to get into what you do, Andy, um, how you got into waterfowl hunting, um, and just kind of give yourself a brief introduction. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Um, how did I get into waterfowl hunting? Uh, honestly, my family has always waterfowl hunted, but very, 
kind of passively, you know, my, my dad, you know, when there were a lot of ducks around in the rivers, he'd go and shoot a couple of ducks. Uh, my grandfather kind of did the same thing. They've always been bird hunters. My dad used to raise grouse dogs uh, when we lived in the mountains. And when I was about 11 or 12 years old, um, I don't know what it was, but something in me one morning just said, dad, I want to go duck hunting. And he was like, why would you want to do something like that? And, uh, the rest is kind of history. He, he dropped me off at our lease in Hanover County, um, where it had a little swamp in the back and I had his oversized waders with an old pair of suspenders holding them up and a army duffel bag with eight decoys in it that I've still got. They sit on the shelf in my house and, uh, stood down there in the swamp as ducks buzzed everywhere over my head with my identifying ducks at a distance because I was under the pain of death not to shoot the wrong duck. And back when I was 12, I believed that there were game wardens behind every tree. So I absolutely never, ever made a mistake. I was too careful. And uh, I later found out that they were wood ducks once the sun came up and I saw the last one flying away. So I did not even fire the gun that morning, even though they were landing all around me in the, the pre-dawn light but uh that was kind of what triggered it and i think the next time that i duck hunted a week or two later we were down in southampton county and i killed a mallard and the rest is history i've been doing it ever since and uh, i go to canada every year hunt four or five different states where most of my vacation time gets burned um started a little side business redoing decoys um the majority of people want me to, to flock and custom airbrush them. Uh, I do a lot of rehabbing of old herders decoys. Uh, we wrestle coat, we burlap, uh, and we also just paint. So, uh, sell rigs and, uh, weights and all kinds of stuff. If it relates to a decoy, I can pretty much do it. So you grew up, so like you got started duck hunting like in, in Virginia. So like when you say like the mountains and swampland, like that's like, yep. That's where you're talking about. So right, yeah. not a whole lot different. That's right. I, I grew up in Southeast right. Tennessee. Yeah. I grew up in the mountains of Virginia. My dad um, ran the, the trout hatchery in Bath County. So I've been around the, uh, I guess it's now, as of today, the Department of Wildlife Resources my entire life. Um, grew up riding shotgun in a fish truck, stocking trout on the state parks and feeding trout from the back of the state truck and all that cool stuff. Uh, Bath County was the mecca of whitetail deer hunting in the state of Virginia back then. Um, school shut down for, you know, the whole week. And uh, this is when you still had to check deer in manually. So uh, we only had two or three check stations in the whole county, you know, the county that killed, you know, 8,000 deer in a two week period. And uh, so our driveway was just lined with trucks because we lived in the state house right there on the hatchery grounds. And uh, I was in heaven, you know, for this kid that had an hour and a half bus ride to school each way. Now there's people absolutely everywhere. Uh, deer season and the opening day of trout season, which used to be a thing. Uh, there were always people everywhere, all over the place. And I thought it was great. And I loved it. It's kind of where I got my social butterfly uh, attitude from. It's why I like having people around so much. Well, uh, so what's the name of the business you have and like, how long have you been like, what, how long have you been in the, in the decoy rehab business? I started two rivers counterfeits officially in October of 2017. Um, so I guess we're rolling on three years now. Um, I did it beforehand just to play with it. Cause I wanted my own decoys to look better. I want them to look different. Um, you know, and I think 
and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this. And I know that Ben has some, as we were talking about earlier, has some some different thoughts on it. It has its place. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Uh, but really, I just wanted my decoys to look better, and I wanted to take decoys that were, um, you know, just sitting and put them back into use. Yeah, that's it's it's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting thing too. Like on the uh, the decoy deals, we'll get a little bit more into it later on our personal philosophies on it and everything else. But you know, and and man, I got some questions to ask you too about you know the rehabbing of decoys. So like as I make a transition now from Texas, you know my my duck hunting my duck hunting experience would start out. I think I bought my first pack of decoys when I was. 10 years old with some birthday money and it was a six pack of wood ducks and my dad didn't even hunt. So I just like floating around the pool, um, you know, for that, for that first experience to like getting into, uh, and kind of growing with going from off the shelf and then you get into Facebook now and, and everything else, which I imagine you have a fairly large presence on Facebook or and followers and post pictures of your work and everything. Right. Yeah. We've got a, uh, there's a, a kind of a little group of us that do this. Um, some people have actually tried to go full professional with it. I'm a, I'm a medic firefighter by trade. That's, you know, my day job. Um, the whole, the whole reason I have the decoy business is one, I don't want to cut grass as a second job and I don't want to ride a medic as a second job. So now my second job, I get to be here at the house all day and, uh, you know, it's, it's great. I can sit in my garage and, you know, if I want to drink a beer on the job, I can drink a beer on the job. If I want to go outside and jump in a swimming pool, I can do that. I just want to say the hell with it and go fishing, I can do that too. Uh, so right here, um, I use this to pay for all of my hunting and fishing trips. That's my goal is to not dip into the family coffer, uh, you know, for boats or trips to Canada or Massachusetts or wherever, I, you know, life might take me this year. So, uh, and, and that's pretty much what it does. You know, the, the business makes about a dollar every year. Cause the rest of it's all written off in, uh, in expenses and, and entertainment costs. So it does what I need it to do. Um, we've got a, we've, we've got a Facebook page that's got about 1200 people following it. It's not huge. It's mostly just customers. Um, but then those of us that actually do it, there's, uh, probably 20 or 30 of us that are serious about it. And, and probably a dozen or so of us that have businesses doing it. Um, we have a page that's specifically called decoy flockers. And I think we just passed 12,000 members on that page. And, uh, and there's people from all over the world in that group. And, and that is yeah, one of the best groups that I've ever been a part of. We have, uh, um, it, it's an open forum. Basically there's, we don't treat anything like a secret there. If you have a question about a process or how to do it, you know, a lot of guys learned from that page. I, I benefited hugely from it. And our businesses do too. So if somebody wants to do it themselves, we don't discourage do-it-yourselfers. We encourage it. So if anybody has questions, that's a good place to get them answered. Uh, that's uh, I'm actually a member of that page. So like my my wife and I, my wife, she goes up. So my wife goes up to an estate sale in Oklahoma and uh, she calls me up one day. And so she she's in, she's a reservist and she, she does her time up there. She calls me up from this estate sale and says, hey, I see a lot of these decoys here. I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, but they're asking for, I think $2 a dozen for them. And I, I told her, I says, we'll buy all of them. You know, like how many I'm all. are there? And, I'm so, all. and so, so literally my wife and her golf GTI, she packs that thing full of these Mallard decoys, like 
some of them are brand new, like in the box, and they're probably awesome. I probably have four or five dozen of these decoys now that she bought. And so I was looking, you know, I got them, and they're nothing, they're nothing crazy, like they're they're flambeaux or or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But um, I looked at them, I was like, man, these would be perfect candidates for for looking at some flocking. And so my wife and I bought some flocking materials. We haven't gotten into it yet, which we'll cover that a little bit soon, you know, a little bit down, mm-hmm. further down the line. But uh, I joined that decoy flockers group, and I, I will say that the information I've gotten from it has been has been really cool. Like the brands of paints to use is adhesion and 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 you know all that other stuff. So you know, with yep. that, like, tell me, yep. tell me a little bit, I guess we'll kick it off with this. Um, you know, as far as the big topic goes, like what does, what does flocking do for you? You know, what is, what it like, what do you, what do you, what does it ultimately accomplish, you know, versus a store-bought painted decoy? When you stand back and look at a flock decoy, uh, especially from overhead and against the water, um, everything on the water reflects just like a, a plastic decoy will, uh, flocking, uh, because it, it's almost like a stealth technology in reverse because it disperses the light in multiple directions. There's absolutely no shine on it. So imagine holding up a black piece of paper in front of a mirror. Uh, you can see it extremely well. Well, it has the same effect with birds. Birds can see them much better at a distance. And it, that's been proven over and over from drones and all kinds of footage and stuff like that. So um, the, the flocking makes your decoy stand out a lot better, which is one of the the main reasons we use decoys in the first place is to get the bird's attention. So, um, in, instead of just yelling, it's like yelling through a megaphone. I think this just became an expensive podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Like as we, as we are all like over on our side devices right now, like figuring out like what decoys about like flock <laughs> and yeah. how to do it. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you guys have any questions right now for like kind of move on to the next thing or. For those getting into water or um, flocking, Andy, if someone wants to pick it up right now, besides going over and joining the uh, Decoy Flockers Facebook um, page, what would be some, maybe just a couple things you would really recommend for someone starting out? Um, The biggest thing is protecting yourself and protecting your family and your house. Uh, The flocking that we use is nylon and it is very toxic. So do not you know, don't think that this is something like you can do with latex paints, you know, paint it at the, the dining room table with a tarp thrown over the table. No way. You don't want it anywhere in your house. Um, you can do it outside. Uh, but I have, you know, Thomas, you've been over to the house. I've got a garage and shop completely separate from the house. Um, I don't, I don't want them in my house at all. If I can help it, I, I store a couple of finished decoys in the sunroom out back. But other than that, all that stuff stays outside. Uh, God only gave us one pair of lungs. I wear a full face piece respirator. Uh, I've got one for my wife. I've got one for my little boy. Uh, so anytime they're out there hanging out in the shop with me, they've got it on. Uh, the stuff, and it adds up over time. So the more you do it, especially me, you know, where I'm doing it, you know, 10, 15, 20 days a month, I don't, I don't want it on me or in me or anything like that. So the biggest piece of advice I've got is protect yourself and have a spot to do it. Um, Materials wise, uh, most of the the secret to flocking's durability, and and I'll and let's make no illusion here. Painted decoys are tougher than flock decoys are. 
there's there's no doubt about it. You have to treat flock decoys a little bit differently and a little bit more gingerly than painted decoys. Now they can still be very durable. I'm still hunting over some of the first ones that I ever flocked back when I had no idea what I was doing. They've only got one coat of flocking on them and I still shoot geese over them 20 days a season. So, um, and that's just in September. Um, and, and I don't, I don't treat mine the way I tell people to treat them either. I stack mine in the boat like firewood and beat the snot out of them just because I can, you know, I can fix them and I want to see what they're capable of doing. So if, uh, you know, somebody brings me one that's torn up, I can be like, yeah, you probably didn't put this in a slot bag, bud, but come on, we'll fix it for you. Um, yep. so, uh, the devil is all in the prep. Uh, you want these things to be spotlessly clean clean them with dawn and a scrub brush and hose them off i use a power washer i get my little boy to, to hold the power washer and pull the trigger and i just hold it right in front of the nozzle get all that junk off of them let them dry real good and uh then i use a, a primer specifically for plastic this is assuming that we're dealing with plastic decoys i do as much or more foam than plastic anymore um but with plastic which is what most people will probably be starting with um, you're going to want to use a, a bullseye product called one, two, three primer, uh, for all surfaces. And it works really, really well. Um, you don't need to worry about sanding them or anything. Um, and I spray the whole bird, the bill, everything. Um, so, and it's a, a very light gray color. And, uh, and that's really the, the real key to having good adhesion is having a good, clean, dry decoy, uh, when you start off that primer and then your, uh, your base coat of paint will stick to that primer really, really well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I have one more question, but do either you, Matt or Alex have a question? My question is, um, basically since you've got into flocking decoys, how has it changed your overall kind of strategy around decoys, I guess would be the best way to phrase it. Um, by and large, I've made a shift to darker decoys because just like I was talking about that black piece of paper, um, and lots of other people have found this out too, that darker decoys, um, tend to stand out better. You know, everybody talks about, you know, their great granddaddy using, you know, old bottles and a uh, crab pot floats painted black. Well, that's why they used black, uh, is because they stand out better. So ever since I started flocking, I've, I've, especially here in the East, I throw more black ducks and, um, almost to the point where, you know, I'm using black ducks in place of hen mallards because you know, hen mallards are designed to hide uh, by nature. They're, they're designed to be camouflaged. So even when I'm, you know, hunting in the woods of Arkansas, I'm throwing a lot of black ducks just for more contrast because I think the birds can see them better. And uh, the birds certainly seem to see them better, at least in my experience. So um, that, that's kind of, and it that really didn't have anything to do with from when I started flocking. It just has to do with things that we've all learned since then, you know, little things that you hear along the way and things that, you know, other people are doing that may or may not work. So I guess I've got a question. Um, so is there, is there like any specific kind of like decoy brands that are harder to flock than others? Based, you know, based on maybe it's the paint they use or the plastic they use or whatever material, um, or even the form they use is, is that even a concern yeah yeah that, no, that's that's actually a really good question um the bar none hardest decoy to get flocking to stick to is the back in the early 2000s 
uh, Avery launched Greenhead Gear, and they came out with the Hot Buy decoy. And those early Hot Buys, the the paint, even the, I mean, they were notorious for the paint just falling right off of them. And the plastic underneath is this like pinkish beige plastic, and it's like Teflon. Nothing sticks to it. They are an absolute witch. Um, I see that. I see those. Well, actually, I don't see many of them come through, but I see them, you know, for sale and you know, little estate piles, you know, for a buck or whatever. And I'm like, nope, I don't even want to mess with it. <laughs> um, now, me personally, I if if I was to pick a decoy to paint, it would be a smooth body. Um, so something like a Herders or a Myers, which is very similar to the original Herders or a Homer, uh, those smooth body foam decoys, because then I don't have the ridges or the ripples. Now, when I was first starting out, it's real intimidating to take what looks like a really nice looking hunting decoy. And, um, and I do, man, I have, I had a guy bring me, you know, two dozen brand new avian X's in the box and he's like, paint over them. I'm like, okay, you know, three years ago, I'd have been like, no way, man, no way. Uh, uh, no. And, uh, now I'm like, yep, no problem. And I primered right over them and already got the flocking on them. So. Um, and the reason being is I was intimidated of, of like free drawing feathers. And it's just one of those things that the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And now that I've kind of got my system down, I, I just assume not have them on there at all because those feather ridges on, on decoys are almost always wrong, especially on older decoys. The, the feather patterns, the shape is wrong. The, the direction they grow is wrong. The groups are wrong. Um, and the newer decoys, the avian X's and the Dakotas are better about it. For sure. But, uh, you know, G and H's, which have been around forever. I mean, the feather patterns on those are, they're all wrong. They're all wrong. So I end up just painting right over them. And especially on hens, you can see the little, and this is, it's six feet. We're not talking about at 60 feet here where a duck notices. Um, and you know, all this fine detailing stuff is for hunters as much as it is for ducks. You'll, you'll see the little the little divots in them and the little indentions where, you know, where I deviated from what the original molding thought a duck looked like. So it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's still kind of an art form, but you know, I like mine better. Everybody likes their own brand. That's, that's kind of interesting what you mentioned there. It's uh it's funny. It's like, this is as much as it is for the hunters. It is for the ducks, which was, what was the original just question? Like, you know, it's like, just it's, like fishing. It's walking wars. a gimmick. Yeah, it's like no. it's blocking a gimmick, right? Yeah. Is that something that makes us no. feel like, hey, we're getting this way better hunting product when in fact, like a duck doesn't care uh, and will show up when it shows up? Uh, I mean, I've got well, my thoughts. I'm going to reserve it toward, well, toward the end. But. Think think about it this way, okay? <laughs> think think about a, a, a fishing lure, okay? You've got what what attracts a fish to a fishing lure? Is it the vibration? Is it the size? Is it the the natural prey drive? Is it is it the you know the individual color? And the answer is all that it depends. And just like fish right. bite all different things and different colors on different days. And you've kind of got to match what they're reacting to. Different light conditions, different situations. Flocking is a tool in the bag. It's not, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that it is not an end all be all. And not every decoy I hunt over is flocked. In fact, there was a, a day this past year when I was in Nebraska it was three degrees and we were in the Platte river and there's ice flows coming down the river. And these decoys are, are submarine and under the water and the ice is just building up on them. And I'm looking at them like, man, this would be horrible if, uh, if these decoys were fully flocked because ice is one of the worst enemies of flock decoys, not because 
the ice itself will hurt them. But what, what do you do when there's ice on your decoy? You walk out there and you punch it and you knock the ice off. Well, ice will get down into flocking and it will scalp it just like ripping off a big patch of hair uh, because it'll, it, it gets down inside it just the way that moss will come off a rock. So if you're hunting super, super cold temperatures, it's not that you can't use flock decoys. It's just that you can't rip the ice off the flocking because you'll tear them up. So in that situation, plastic's better. Um, now, if you are a guy who is super hard on your decoys, you're a, a commercial diver hunter, uh, you know, uh, wide water and outdoor action right here in Virginia, these guys that hunt the Potomac flock decoys are not for them they pack their decoys every day they don't they don't leave their rigs out like the guys in carolina do or the guys in louisiana do or the guys in tennessee they they pick their decoys up every day and they treat them i mean just they're hard on them man they, they throw them in these big open decoy boxes in the middle of these 25 foot commercial parker boats and they just beat the snot out of them and it it will it'll wear on them It'll wear on them. Friction is one of the worst enemies of flock decoys. Um, but to get back directly to what your question was, and I've got ADHD really bad, so I always get scatterbrained in the evening. So you might have to veer me back on course at some point. It won't hurt my feelings. You've, uh, it's not a gimmick. It's definitely not. And all you've got to do, if you don't believe it, is just look at some of the pictures of in, in all different light conditions of decoys that are flocked versus not flocked especially in direct sunlight and especially in fields. Um, there's a massive difference, you know, just go ahead and take a goose silhouette that, uh, that is, has a flocked head versus a not flocked head and look at the difference in contrast and then look at the difference in a hundred yards, you know, where, where a bird might see it, you know, and it, as you get closer, it only magnifies it. Um, and I've actually got some pictures uh, very early on on my page of a, uh, you know, direct afternoon sunlight of flocked versus not flocked decoys. And it's, uh, it's, it's night and day. I mean, you know, you can see them a hundred times better and, and keep in mind the birds can see even better than us. So, you know, that they can see them better too. And, uh, and the birds just bomb over them. So that's, uh, they work, they that's, work that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. That, you know, as far as the contrast goes and, and, and when to use them, you know, like my, I noticed down here, like when I hunted a lot, like especially getting towards like late, late season, um, you know, I kind of looked at flocking, like you mentioned, as a tool in the toolbox. I've got a set, I've got a, I got a couple dozen flock decoys, um, and I found that when I started, when I started adapting to a smaller spread, uh, when I was hunting a little bit, you know, I was, I was hunting higher pressure ducks and and getting to be a little bit more crowded water towards the late season where I was at down here. Mm -hmm. You know, the word got out, the ducks were thick. And so we started getting a lot more crowds. And so I started going, I started venturing like further out and part of altering my spread was I started only hunting over about six to a dozen decoys. And I, and I leaned towards the flocked ones at that point in time, because I was like, what are these birds looking for? And this is a detail that might help me out, especially when I'm only using six to a dozen, you know, six to a dozen decoys. Uh, and I had some clients looked at me pretty funny when I only, you know, brought out one, one strand of decoys. You know, they're used mm -hmm. to seeing people drag out big mm -hmm. spreads and I was like, well, it's, it's middle of January. It's good to be late. We're down in South Texas. These birds have seen some things. Um, this is what's been working. And a lot of that for me was flock decoys. And my thought process was um, fewer enhanced details, higher contrast, pull in wary birds. And it worked. I mean, for the most part, it worked. But 
uh, it's kind of interesting to hear you say like the contrast piece of it because I never really thought about setting them out and looking at them from afar. Have any of you guys done any of that or noticed the difference? I don't. Well, have I had it. the priv- Go ahead, Matt. I don't have any flock decoys other than like goose decoys with the, just the heads. And I can honestly notice a difference between, you know, flocked heads and not flocked heads, but for duck decoys, I don't have any flocked ones, but I'm probably going yeah, to have to do I've used very minimal flock decoys, but I've had the opportunity to hunt over one of Andy's decoys before um, a black duck a couple years ago now. And I'll say every duck I I shot just about over the four days I hunted over that decoy tried to land right on top of his black duck. So I do think they worked maybe just a little bit better. Yeah, I kind of see it. It's yeah. like a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a detail difference that, you know, maybe it makes a difference, maybe it doesn't. But when you're, you know, when you start getting late season, and even down here in Texas where we have a lot of birds, when it starts getting late season, like, you get to the point where you're starting to squeeze out limits. You know, like, you're not shooting them all by nine. Um, and maybe I'm just doing it wrong. But we, you know, we got to the point where you're just, you're not shooting them all by nine. And I feel like some of those differences make, they make a difference in one more opportunity or not. That's exactly what it boils down to is it's a, a summation of, of little differences. So if you get, you know, say you got four guys hunting and you kill three more birds on a hunt because of flock decoys. And there again, there's so many variables. You, you, you really can't make a difference. But, you know, you hide your boat a little bit better. You, you get your spread a little bit more realistic. You get a little bit more motion. Uh, you know, you call a little bit less or a little bit more or, you know, you, you, those, those little tiny things, that's the difference between, you know, at the end of the year having, you know, a hundred bird year and a 200 bird year over the course of 60 days. So, and you don't really think about it the day it happens, you know, oh, maybe, you know, it, it was, maybe it wasn't, but I've noticed that my average hunt here at home and, and Virginia being a flyover state largely um, it, it, it's made a big difference. And my clients have noticed the same thing. Um, one of the outfitters here, and you talk about only using a couple of decoys. Uh, my very good friend, uh, Rick Nunnally guides with Chip Watkins at Monquin Creek. And he had a couple of guys this year. They wanted to kill black ducks and, and Virginia is a great place to do it. You know, the Eastern seaboard is, is the spot in the continental U S for black ducks. And, um, they they had mallards and gadwalls dumping all around them and they just wanted to shoot their black ducks and they were totally happy um rick was the first person that ever paid me to flock a decoy for him and i did five i think of the uh they're not Euro ducks but they were made in pennsylvania and they're called ura duck i think is what they were um not the the Euro ducks meaning urethane ducks that are still being made down in uh in north carolina but uh Yep, he's still hunting over them. Uh, that was that that would have been uh, yet that that would have been fall of of twenty sixteen. He had me do that. That was before I even went, you know, official with everything. And uh, he he took him down to North Carolina with Chip Watkins that year, and Chip turned around and had me do his entire commercial rig for him. Um, and that was what really kind of launched the business. I mean, I like, I couldn't believe that I was, you know, somebody was paying me, you know, a thousand dollars to do that. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, all right, great. And that's, <laughs> that's when I started going to Canada every year. But, uh, he said that that's, that's a- when they were, when they were down in North Carolina, um, he said the way that the, the black ducks reacted down there to those decoys was absolutely unbelievable. And he was sold. 
sold immediately. Um, and they went down there with their clients and just absolutely whacked them. I think they killed 60 in like a five day period or something like that, you know, kill. And that was when the limit was one. So, you know, they were, uh, you know, guys were just ecstatic about it. Yeah, that's uh, my, my flock decoys. So I, I've got about, I think I've got two dozen flock decoys now. And the first ones I bought was uh, they're, uh, they're, they're black duck mallard hybrids, which were, were somebody, I guess, paid, a, you know, I forgot the name of the gentleman that did them. But they paid him and then they just didn't, they, they basically never picked them up. And so he was listening gotcha. for sale at basically a discount price, and I, and I grabbed some. Which, by the way, we'll talk after the podcast if you have any of those uh, the Myers flocked hanging around. I'm trying to build my diver spread, but well, I can. We, I uh, mean, all you got to do is call Andy, and Andy will and we'll send them to you. Um, but I, it, yeah. it's not something that I just you know. It, I, I wish I had that kind of money to to have that kind of overhead, but um, you know, uh, he'll. I've got them here, you know, that people have ordered and stuff like that, and. And uh, that's the best way to do it is just call Andy or call Scott at Homer and they'll send you whatever, whatever straight to me. They got my address. But, well, I, I bought those, I bought those black duck decoys and I put them, uh, I put them in my reserves, you know, like I kind of, I have my, I have my, what I start the season off with. And then uh, now you, you and Thomas will have to teach me about Virginia Potomac hunting, but you know, I've got my reserve decoys that I, I kept out for the last, the last part of the season. And, um, pretty much, you know, those were the flocked ones. Those are the nice ones. And those are the ones I put out a dozen or, you know, less at a time. So right. that's, that's pretty interesting. Right, right. Um, before we, I guess I, I really want to know if you could just kind of walk me through, you know, t- talk to me about like the step-by-step of flocking a decoy. Like what goes into that? Like what, like what's the process? Um, the process itself. So earlier we were talking about the, uh, the prep work and the, and the prep is huge. Um, so once you've got your decoy cleaned and you've got it primed, uh, you're going to, you're going to want to get your first coat of flocking on. So let's just from a, uh, since we've been talking about black ducks, let's just, let's do a black duck. Um, if your head is removable, like it would be on a herders or a Myers or a Homer, it'll save you time to do the head and the body separately because it's two different colors. So in the case of a black duck, Let's say you've got one that uh, that is separate and one that's not. Uh, let's say you've got like a GNH. So the head's going to be on a GNH, and then you've got uh, um, we'll, we'll use a herders, um, and then you've got a herder seventy two that you can take the head off of. With a foam decoy, you don't want to use that bullseye. Anything that is out of a spray can that uh, has a um, a thinning agent in it, like acetone, for example, will eat uh, a foam decoy slam up. It'll eat right through it like a hot knife through butter. Um, so do not use that bullseye on foam. Uh, I use kills. Uh, I just, I get it. Now you can use the bullseye uh, brushable on, which is fine. Uh, Zenser makes a, uh, makes a good product. PPG makes one. I just use kills. Uh, kills two, which is, is waterproof. And that just gives you a good coat to stick to. Um, now the head, which is, uh, made of a uh, tenite or Durlon, depending on what era of herders you have, uh, you can use that bullseye spray on. Now, after I, I've got my entire decoy head, bill, body, everything primed. The first thing I do is I paint the bill. Now I use an airbrush, which that's a, a barrier for a lot of people doing this. Um, but especially with an airbrush, because it's hard to control the overspray on smooth surfaces, I do the bill first so that I don't blast. In the case of a, a black duck, it would be yellow. 
onto the body or onto the face of the duck after it's been flocked because the flocking will grab that airbrush paint pretty good. So uh, for yellow, I use a Createx paint. It's designed specifically for airbrushing. Um, I also use thinned Rust-Oleum sometimes. I use Golden's uh, airbrush paints. There's, there's lots of different airbrush paint. You kind of just got to find uh, which color and which hue works best for you and what's available. Uh, you know, shipping times right now are, are killer. You know, um, I had to order some airbrush parts and some airbrush paint uh, earlier in the year, and it took me like three weeks to get the stuff in. And, you know, right now is my go time because I want to have all my customers' decoys back to them, you know, September 1st, September 15th, no later than that. Because after that, I'm going hunting. I don't want to do decoys anymore. Uh, and, and so is everybody else. You know, so the guys that have, you know, gotten me these decoys in February. And, and I tell people, you know, as they come in, I get booked up for the year in about three weeks, which is awesome. But I, I want those decoys as soon as the season ends. I tell people, don't worry about cleaning them or any of that. Just get them to the house. Because the sooner that you get them to me, the sooner you're in line. And, uh, you know, people send them from all over the country. I've already sent them back to Idaho, California. Pennsylvania, Colorado, uh, just this year. So um, I've got some uh, some specs that I'm getting ready to start to send back to Arkansas. So um, definitely. Uh, so, so you get it cleaned, if, you do the bill. Yeah, you get it face. clean and, and do the bill, do the face. Um, you're probably going to have overspray on your face from your bill, which is not a problem. Um, with the body on a black duck, I use black gloss Rust-Oleum. Now, for your adhesion, if you buy a flocking kit, it'll come a lot of times. Uh, I forget the company. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember what it was. But there's a company that used to offer like a flocking kit, and it had this glue that they recommended you use. It was dyed, and it's not good. Don't use it. Um, you can buy the flocking from lots of different places. I buy mine from um, Daniel Miller at Superior Decoys. There's a discount code. That you can use um, from the decoy flockers page if you join. It's in the announcement post, um, and everything that I'm saying here too is pretty much in that announcement post. And I've actually got a thread up there on a step by step how to. So uh, don't feel like you need to write this down if you're interested in doing it because you can go there and, and read it. It's already all written out, and you can always get a hold of me. I'm happy to answer any questions you got. But what you're going to do next is you're going to use that black gloss rust oleum. Always use gloss paint. Uh, gloss oil-based paint like Rust-Oleum specifically for your adhesion. And I use black gloss and then I use feather brown flocking. And that's how you get that nice dark chocolate color on, on that's a black duck. Um, and I, I do that and I put it up for at least 24 hours. I sift it on. I'll, I'll, you know, I, just, I just paint it. I use chip brushes. Just I go to Harbor Freight and get a 36-pack for like six bucks of the one-inch and two-inch chip brushes. Um, that way, if they get torn up or nasty, I just throw them away and get another one. Um, I just put the paint on evenly all over the whole bird. Um, and then uh, sift on. I've got like a flower sifter, kind of like the, the the guy at the amusement park or the state fair has that he, he sifts the, the powdered sugar over the elephant ears and the funnel cakes. It's the exact same thing. And um, all it does is the, the flocking, a lot of times it'll pill up due to static electricity keep my flocking in these great big tote bins, the big Rubbermaid bins that, you know, um, like Walter White told Jesse to get in Breaking Bad <laughs> that you could like, you know, put a body in, you know. Um, but that also helps keep it contained. And I can also collect 
what doesn't stick to the decoy. So that, you know, because the stuff will go absolutely everywhere. It'll make a mess. I mean, you walk in my garage, it looks like there's snow drifts in the corners just from the flocking that, you know, and even though I'm pretty good at controlling it, um, it, the stuff just gets everywhere. So I always keep it in a bin and that way I can, you know, it cuts down on my costs a little bit too, because the stuff's not cheap. You know, flocking costs about 25 to $30 a pound. Um, and, and a pound will do a lot, you know, a, a pound of flocking. If you just wanted to do goose heads, a pound of flocking will do every goose head you've got. I, I, I promise you. I mean, it'll do probably a thousand goose heads, uh, just a pound will. So, but you know, I go through about five pounds of, of flocking in each color a year. So I usually just order it all at once and, and it, it comes from, from Dan up in Michigan. So, uh, once you've got your body done on your black duck, uh, if it's sunny outside and dry, I set it outside and let it cure in the sun. But uh, in the wintertime, when it's cold, February, um, I've got to let them sit for three days because I want that first coat to get good and hard and cure up good. Um, on the head, I use uh, almond rust-oleum and then goose gray flocking. You will find that you can greatly influence your colors of your bodies and your heads based on what paint you use underneath flocking. So... Believe it or not, the same flocking that I use for, say, uh, mallard bodies that is, you know, almost white, you know, like doing January mallards, I can put white underneath it and it'll look, you know, that, that very light, white kind of dovish gray. Um, it's the exact same thing that I use on Canada goose bodies with almond or, um, you know, hens. I, I, same deal. You know, I use an almond paint under there and, and get that light, uh, light hen color. Uh, and it's the same as the head on a black duck. So I use an almond base with a goose gray flock. Um, and same thing Then I, I put it up and let it dry. So if, if on example for your, uh, your G and H one that we're doing here, you would have to do the body and then do your second coat on the body before you started your head. So you're looking at, even under good conditions, you're looking at four days just of getting, flocking applied and drying. Whereas if you have a decoy like a herders where you can separate the body and the head, you can do the whole thing in two days. So for your individuals, you know, that are just going to be doing their own own flocking, it really doesn't matter. But for me, when I do, you know, 50 or 60 dozen decoys a season for you know various people, it matters a lot <laughs> that that extra day adds up, especially when I'm at the fire department for 10 days starting out. And, uh, you know, and the cobia are biting and everybody wants to go fishing and the tuna are here. And, you know, so I've got a lot of things that I want to do. So if I can save a day, that's great. So anytime I can take the head off, I do. So, um, all decoys get two coats of flocking and, and paint. Um, and that second coating, it sucks. It, it, it soaks up a lot of paint. It's an absolute pain. It takes a lot longer, but that's where your durability comes from. And you'll notice if you just put one coat on, you'll almost be able to see through it back to the original decoy when you put that second coat on and it cures you'll be like ah okay i get it now um that's where you're uh, you really get that good look so when you look at all the decoys that i've done on my page all of them have two coats of flocking on them bar none <clears throat> if you've got a decoy that already has factory flocking on it um and the hydrostatic process and the uh they don't typically use the nylon flocking that we use here in the States in China where they, they make these commercial grade decoys. So I get a lot of Dakota decoys in particular that are only two seasons old and the flocking has turned pink or white or just is completely washed out. And guys are like, man, I'm, I'm really disappointed. I thought these things would hold up better. 
And that's because that flocking washed out. Um, and certain colors of flocking, even nylon flocking, will wash out on you. And green is really bad. Um, I don't do my green heads with green flocking. I do it with black flocking, and I actually use that oil-based paint to paint the green on. And that makes it much more durable. And I've got decoys that I've left outside, you know, from February until September. And then I just take the water, the garden hose and spray them off and, you know, just knock the dust and the pollen off and they look brand new. Uh, th- cause that oil based paint is designed to protect metal outside. So you can imagine how good it holds up, you know, on a decoy, especially when it's soaked down into that flocking. So, um, color wise, your colors stay a lot more vibrant. So, once you've got two coats of flocking on your decoy. Um, That's so- one distinction I think is is pretty important. To- Go ahead, Doms. Are we all, are we all back now? You still there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. We're having a little bit of connectivity issues. I think we're, we got through it though. I'm going to say it may well be me Keep going, living, living out here in BFE. Um, <laughs> after, after you've got your, uh, your two coats of flocking on, um, this is where the, the real, the, the, the magic happens. Um, you, you get down to the airbrushing. Now, if all you're worried about is a straight gunner, all killer, no filler, black duck decoy, all you really need to do once you've got your, your head and your body done is you might want to, if you have access to an airbrush, great. If not, you can still use a regular brush. Um, you're going to want to put a, a little bit of, of a, a very dark brown. Um, I typically will mix 50-50 gloss black and leather brown Rust-Oleum. And now once you've got your flocking on, you can use gloss paint and it won't be glossy. It'll still be matte colored. But the gloss paint has an additive in it that is a hardener that makes it much more durable than... Uh, flat paint. That's why we use gloss. Um, and even underneath that flocking, it's you, you can't see it. It's still completely dead flat. And even when you paint it on over top, it's still dead flat. So you're going to want to put a little bit of, uh, you're going to want to darken the head up a little bit on your black ducks, especially around the crown and down the, the back of the neck. And then you just take a, um, a little, little trade seeker here is Sharpie makes oil-based paint pens. They sell them at Hobby Lobby, Michaels. Um, they, they probably even sell them at Walmart, but they're oil-based paint. And um, you can use that to put the nail on your bill and paint the nostrils on, which, again, that's really not even all that important from a straight, you know, I'm just concerned about making my decoys look look a little bit better uh, standpoint. Um, and you can hunt them just like that, and they will they will work a lot better, especially for a black duck, uh, because that, those dark colors stand out so much better. Um, but once you're at that stage, that's where I start airbrushing and that's where you really kind of get into the, you know, wow, you know, that, that's where we, that's where you get the wow factor. And, um, do the ducks care? I don't know. You'd have to ask one. Um, you know, all the ones that, that I've tried to ask, I've, I've killed first. So, um, <laughs> they're, they ain't with us no more. <laughs> so that's just the one thing I wanted to say was that, um, I feel like it's important to make the distinction between what you do in terms of flocking and the commercial grade flocking, because I've definitely noticed a night and day durability between, you know, even an avian X decoy and what you're able to produce. Um, it's just, it's completely different. What comes from China and what y'all put out. Yep. And that's part of the reason that we do it the way that we do it. And it, and it takes a lot longer. Um, 
you know, by and large, these companies that are having things made in China, they're not worried about the durability of the product. They're only worried about getting the product in your hands. Um, you know, it, the, the modern, modern, you know, everything, people don't take care of their stuff. You know, we live in a disposable society. So if you get two or three years out of your decoys, you know, that's the expected shelf life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing some, some Meyer scoters right now and I've actually got Homer heads on them. I'm, I'm really good friends with Andy Meyer and Scott hash, uh, both. So, you know, I, I'm kind of like, all right, well, you know, who, who's, who's going to do this? Who's going to, you know, do, do, do I want to use Myers? Do I want to use Homer? Uh, I'll, I'll use them both. So, um, kind of, you know, kind of, I'm a sentimental guy too. So supporting both of my friends at the same time. And you I mean, you can't go wrong with, with either one of them, you know, when, when you order decoys from them, um, you know, as, as long as you keep, you know, supporting American made stuff. And that's the great thing about Homer's and Myers, everything they, they have made right here on the East coast, right, right here in the States. Uh, Myers decoys are being molded right up the road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So, um, and then they send them back and he puts in, he uses all stainless steel components, all stainless steel weights, and they're warranted for life. So, um, Really, really good stuff. So I'm putting together scoters right now that I'm going to wrestle coat. And um, I don't plan on ever buying another scoter decoy again. Um, you know, I'm going to wrestle coat them and paint them. You know, my, my little boy and my wife are going to help me too. And, uh, and that's going to be the rig we shoot over, you know, out on the bay this this winter. I just bought my first dozen Myers decoys unpainted right now. And they're, uh, like I was telling you, I was building my diver rig for going out there. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited about this. You know what I mean? Like the hearing you talk about, those people, I mean, those are both individuals, Homer's and Myers decoys that, you know, when I found out I was moving up to Virginia for a year, I just started diving into the waterfowl stuff there and, you know, found all kinds of, all kinds of companies like that. And, 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 and I was talking to Ben back in December, January timeframe. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting pumped about going and getting into that aspect of the sport because it's so much different than Texas. You know, you like around here, I don't think I saw anybody at the ramp carrying a flock decoy here. Um, no, nah. it just, it, it really, it really wasn't even a thing. And like if you went to Cabela's or you went to Bass Pro or you went to wherever else, um, you might see one box of avian X Mallards flocked. And I think I bought it, you know, like I've got one of them, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just not, it's not quite the same. And so that's, that's pretty cool that that network is, that network is present there and that with those products. And as I got a little bit more into those companies and like you said, seeing what they're about and the product they produce, I was like, yep, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to build a spread. I told my wife and, you know, of course she, she kind of rolled her eyes at it. Like, great. Like I need another three dozen decoys in the garage. You know, of course I'm like, oh, well these are divers. So I got to have those. Yep. <laughs> and they got to oh, be three, three, For divers, three dozen is just a start, man. That's just a start. I know I'm learning. God, it's a uh, man. Well, that's why I, I hunted had to get with a some bigger boys. Boat, boys and- yep. Yeah. Yeah, I hunted with some boys down in Back Bay that, uh, you know, they're hunting out of 19 to 20 foot center consoles. And, uh, you know, they've got more invested in decoys than they do in their boats. Um, back in oh, the, cow. you know, the, <laughs> the, the primo Mac Daddy diver decoy to have. Uh, they don't make them anymore, but they were called Plasta Ducks. They're made in Cla- Math Falls, Oregon. And uh, the the jumbos, like the super mags, they were like 21, 22 inches long. I mean, they were the size of Magnum goose floaters. And I, you know, and they made them in you know all species, cans, blackheads, uh, sprigs, you, know, you name it. Um, they cost 35 bucks a piece. And there were guys who were running spreads of, of, of 150 to 200 of them. So you step out in the math. I mean, there's there's guys that got fifteen grand tied up in decoys, and they've all got three pounds of lead on them a piece. 
with crab pot line. <laughs> do they at least? So, do they still sink when you shoot them? No, no, they were all foam filled, and this and they were they were made out of like almost like a uh, like a, a hard fiberglass, almost like a uh, almost like like sixteen pound density foam shell on the outside with two pound density foam on the inside. And um, I mean, I've, I've got a couple of the uh, the pintails still uh, that I got off Brian Watkins, and and the things are massive. Uh, they're they're absolutely huge, but they're indestructible. I mean, you could drive a nail with them, and you won't even scratch them. Hmm. But they were just they were just too dang expensive, you know. Even even in the nineties and and back then, they're just cost prohibitive. So what's what's the weirdest decoy you've ever flocked, or weirdest thing? It might not even be a decoy. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, come fly my, my mailbox. Uh, my son, for, we can look better. <laughs> <laughs> so so the mail carrier can see it better. Um, the uh, there was a guy from I don't even know where he was from, but he. He sent me a, uh, I think Sportplast, I think is the company, makes ducklings. And he wanted to do a baby announcement. And uh, so he had me flock a baby mallard duck for him. And I was like, <laughs> man, I, does a baby mallard duck look different than, a, than any other like baby duck? You know, I'm like, all right. So I started diving, you know, Google's your best friend. I start looking at all these pictures and yeah, there's, there's a picture of it on the, on the page, you know, so I got to be a part of the baby announcement. And then my, my son had to, uh, make a baby animal this past year for a, uh, school project. And, uh, one of the things that William and I do together a lot is we make buoy decoys. We'll take crab pot floats that we find washed up on the beach or, uh, you know, we'll, we'll actually buy them, you know, now, cause we're doing so many of them from a, a waterman supply company. I'll cut them in half on the bandsaw and we'll just make a silhouette head and, you know, hold it together with dowels and, and decking screws and, and gorilla glue. And it, you know, it's a great lightweight decoy. Um, and he made one and we entered it at a decoy show and the little sucker won second in show with his pintail. You know, here's his pintail. We made the pintail out of a, a zip tie. And, uh, you yeah, know, and he, he likes to brag about how he got a bigger ribbon than daddy. And he did, you know, <laughs> so, um, but these things, you know, they're, they're crab pot floats. So, I mean, you can shoot a whole box of shells into them and you can't hurt them. And, you know, if you find the float, then it's free. And all you've, the most expensive part of it is the three screws you use to hold the keel on and, and hold the head on. So, um, he took one of these and he had to make, he said he wanted to make a baby goose. So I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so we, uh, we looked up and got on, you know, I, I use the power tools. That's, you know, my department and he, uh, he does all the painting and, and all that stuff. And he painted up a little baby goose. And that was, that was probably the weirdest one. Cause I was like, what a strange school project. You have to make a baby animal. And, you know, naturally my kid would choose a goose. So, um, <laughs> I've but there's guys that are Facebook and tracking up. Yep. Jeff Killian has done uh, deer decoys for people uh, up in Ohio. Um, he's taken like old shot up archery targets and, and flocked them. Um, there's a lot of guys doing turkeys now. I haven't ventured into the turkeys yet, but um, I'm sure it's coming. I've, I've got one sitting out there that I'm going to tinker with. Um, I've got hooded mergansers sitting in queue right now that I've, I've never, never flocked a hoodie before. How about uh, coots? I'm going to have to figure that out. Uh, yeah, coots are easy. Um, yep, I've, I've done <laughs> coots. Yep, yep. Coots are, you know, when you look at a coot, you, you think that it's all black, but they're actually pretty gray. They're they're kind of a salt and pepper, especially on the sides. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of gray on the side pockets. So, um, you know, not that I think a coot cares, but 
Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that coots do is because coots are such messy eaters, mallards love to follow them around. So anywhere you see coots, I mean, and I'll, I learned this hunting the, the timber, um, you know, coots usually don't fly off and roost. They just kind of hang out where they eat at. So when we had ice in Biomeda, the coots were keeping the water open. So all these guys are zipping past us and, you know, we're sitting in the boat runs, you know, in the bow itself. And uh, all these guys are blowing up past us into the woods trying to bust, you know, these, these famous timber holes open. And, you know, they're fighting ice all morning long. And I'm like, well, there's open water right here. I just drove the boat up into some buck brush and parked it. And we shot a 10-man limit in an hour. Oh. You know, and, and people are driving out of there like, you know, oh, my God, you know, what what you know, what are you all doing differently? I'm like, man, the, you know, and these coots, the coots stayed there the whole time. They just stood up on the ice and just watched us murder these ducks. And uh, I'm like, don't, don't y'all <laughs> don't y'all dare shoot them damn coots, man. Don't you shoot them coots. <laughs> and then, the, you know, when we left, the coots just went right back to feeding. And the next day we came in and did the same thing again. And, uh, you know, just it was it was incredible. And, but the coots were, were, you know, pulling up the milfoil and all the stuff that was in the, in the boat runs. And because they, they're so messy, the mallards, all the mallards have to do is get downstream of them and they got a free meal. They don't have to do any work. They can just sit there and float and, and pick up the scraps. That's a, I have a little bit of a similar question. Here, you want to yeah. go ahead, Alex? Sorry. No, no, go for it, Thomas. I just wanted to I wanted to ask what was the hardest decoy that you've had to flock or the one or the species you've struggled with the most kind of mastering. Uh, uh widgeon were tough. Um I have Bill Scapelja, he's a, a member of the uh the decoy flockers page, uh has been my saving grace more than once, but especially on widgeon. Widgeon really, really intimidated me. Um mostly because the color is hard to match. There's not a really good rust-oleum oil-based paint that matches so you you've got to do a lot of overspraying to get it to match and i've i've got it down pretty good now but it's it's all of that credit is to bill um and his willingness to you know be so open and so helpful um hen wood ducks were pretty tough for the same reason because hen wood ducks have so many subtle colors in them they've got purples they've got greens they've got olive greens they've got blues they've got hard rust browns and light rust browns and cream colors so uh and woodies take a lot of time, um, you know, and it, it's, it's weird. You wouldn't think this, but um, by and large, if I had to pick one that in general is the toughest to do, it's a mallard drake. And, and it's just because of all the color breaks and all the color blending because they're the transitions from the chest to the cape to the wing line and up into the primary flight feathers are like five different shades of brown and gray. So, you know, you would think that you could just take regular brown and, and regular gray and regular green and make a, a mallard. But it's when you really look at one hard, there's a lot more to a mallard drake than that. So they can be pretty tricky. The divers are pretty cut and dry, um, especially since I discovered what a vermic- vermiculation stencil is. That made my life so much easier because I can overspray with that stencil right on the back and get all that good vermiculation like you see on the back of uh, of blackheads and, uh, and on redheads and stuff. Um, Canada geese are the most time-consuming for sure because you've got to paint every single feather on one, especially a smooth Canada goose. Um, like the Herders 93s, they it'll take me two hours to airbrush one of those things. It's a uh, very, very long, involved process. 
because um, I've got a stencil on every single feather because each feather has got a hard break in it. And it's then there's three different densities of, of brown and black in each feather on a goose. And if you don't take the time to actually do them, it won't look right. Um, I've, I've tried. I've, I've tried a bunch of different shortcuts. There's just no other way around it. Um, so that a, a, a goose is the one decoy where I definitely like having uh, feathers molded in. I'd rather do smooth ducks, but I'd rather do molded plastic geese because I can uh, spray down that back and it'll create all those hard stops for me. And that'll, that'll save me like an hour and a half right off the top. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty fascinating. And as we approach the fifty eight minute mark here, what I'll do is I figure we'll do a a save rounds. You know, we'll go around the table here for like the one last question or comment, and then uh, I'll wrap it up and then um, give you a plug for your your business there. And uh, we'll uh, we'll put this one in the books, boys. So uh, I'll start off with you, Thomas. Go ahead. Like, what uh, do you have any save rounds here? Any last questions? Yeah, so I uh, I wanted to ask you about your your big into traveling, Andy. You do I think you've got into it more over the past couple of years, from my understanding. Oh, yeah. But um, what how how's coronavirus looking to impact your travel plans, and what do you have? What did you want to get done this year, or where do you want to go to this year, and where do you have plans so far? Uh, right now, we're planning on Canada. Um, we're going back to Nebraska. That's just October. Um, Canada, of course, is everybody's wild card right now. Um, and I'm, I'm a freelance hunter. I, I almost never go on guided hunts. Um, you know, I'll hunt with outfitters that I've made friends with. Uh, we're, we're the guy we hunt with in Nebraska, he owns 8,600 acres on the plat. So we, we pay him a trespass, a trespass fee, but, uh, you know, and stay in his lodge. But, you know, we're, we self guide ourselves when we're there. Um, everybody's worried about the border right now. Um, We've got a the the woman we stay with in Canada. Um, she's very well connected in the hospitality business, and she is telling us that everyone is telling her September first it'll be open. But there's there's no way to tell what's going to happen between now and then. Um, there's been another huge, and of course, being a firefighter, I'm kind of privy to all this information too. There's been a huge flare up as people are as things are reopening. Um, the virus is just going out of control um so uh, there's a huge hotbed in myrtle beach right now so all the people that have been in myrtle beach are you know getting sick and so we're we're kind of worried that if it doesn't knock down that canada is going to take a good hard look at it and be like yeah um nope sorry boys um you know so for us all that means for me is instead of going to canada i'll be bow hunting here in virginia or you know fishing on the bay or you know, maybe I'll actually just rebuild the boat for that week that I've got scheduled up there. Um, what it really stinks for is all of the outfitters that, you know, those two months are, are how they feed their family. That's where they make their money. They got a lot of overhead, all the guides, you know, um, what are they going to do? So, um, that's the real wild card. Other than that, um, you know, we're looking at, uh, maybe doing Massachusetts again. I'm going to, go hunt with bill down in florida in january and try and shoot a plumed out blue wing um that might might hunt carolina or maryland or something like that i don't have a a whole heck of a lot of, of wild crazy travel plans this year just the just the normal stuff that i've kind of been doing um florida is going to be my new one this year so still trying to get to utah gotcha. my wife will let me so all right 
All right, cool. And uh, Matt, any save rounds? Yeah, uh, I'm going to kind of pivot off what Thomas just asked and uh, ask, uh, where's your, where is your favorite place that you've traveled to that like hunt? You know, what, what was your favorite place to hunt? And where where do you want to go in the Man. future? Like, where what's your dream list to? Hunt to? My favorite place to hunt is the place I'm hunting tomorrow. I mean, I, I it, it's so hard. Um, I don't really have. I'm, I'm not real picky. I, I'm a. I love to explore and I love to see new places. I mean, Canada is incredible just because of of all the opportunity that's up there. Um, you know, and you know, you you got to go find them yourself. You're not married to one spot, which is kind of what's really hard about Virginia is the options are are pretty limited uh, with the blind laws and everything. You know, largely. You, you go to where you can legally hunt and, and kind of hope for the best outcome up there. I mean, there's nothing stopping you. Um, you know, access is just a door knock away. Um, so that's what I really love about it. And that's, that's what I like about hunting the bay too, is, you know, the bay's wide open, you know, you can just, you know, go find the birds and hunt them. Um, the Platte river though, in January this past year was, uh, one of the most fun hunts I've ever been on. We had a, a you know, me and a, another guy that I went to college with and a, and a buddy of mine that lives out there. Um, we just had a great time. We, we just worked really well together and there were a lot of birds around and it was low stress, no pressure. And it was an incredible sight. So I'm really looking forward to taking the family back out there in October and, and seeing the variety of birds. Right, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And you know, for me, you know, my, uh, my, my, my save around here is, is that I, I'm, I'm extremely curious about the flocking. I think the process is pretty cool. Um, you know, the, if, do you have a place where, I mean, the, the decoy flockers, uh, the Facebook page on that for anybody that's out there interested in getting into decoy flocking, clearly that's a resource that even the pros use. Um, you know, Andy, do you have any other recommendations for places people could go to get some good information uh, if they want to get into it or maybe see some of that data that you've talked about, like, Hey, like this is, this is not a gimmick, Like this isn't a sales pitch. It makes a difference. Here's some resources yeah, for you to take a look yeah, at. You'll see it pop that? up on some of the other Facebook pages, like the DIY waterfowl stuff. And, and, and just like anything else you'll hear, uh, you know, detractors saying, Oh, decoys don't matter. You know, and, and it's always funny to me that, you know, the, the people that uh, love to say, ben, Oh, we ben, kill, we kill, ben, we kill limits ben. all the time over, over <laughs> black soda bottles. And I'm like, yeah, I, I see you, I see you hunting over black soda bottles in your, your sicka jacket and your prodigy boat and your 2,500, <laughs> you know, Denali truck. Um, you know, and, and you're going to, you're going to skimp right there, you know? Um, and, and it's not the most important thing. It, it's not, but you know, it's, it's, it's not a gimmick either. Um, you know, it, it's like saying that, a uh, uh, a high-end duck calls a gimmick, you know, no, it's not. Um, it's a tool, you know, it's another tool in the box. And I'll be the first one to tell you that you can take the best looking decoy that anybody's ever made and you can put it in the wrong place and nothing's going to come near it. You've got to be in the right spot. You've got to be where the birds want to be. That is the end all be all. And then you have to be hidden. So, I mean, I'm like decoys are like, fourth or fifth down the line, you know, decoys, are, I think decoys are in front of calling in, in most places. Uh, that's not so in the woods of Arkansas. Calling is ahead of decoys there. Um, calling is ahead of decoys, um, in probably, and it, it, it depends with geese. Geese are different. Geese are, and, and geese people are different too than duck people. And, uh, you know, that's a topic for a whole other day, but, uh, it, it's definitely not a gimmick. Uh, you know, do, do a little bit of digging, look at some of the pictures. 
you know, put them out in the sun, stand up on your porch or on your house, you know, put them on the water and, and look at them side by side. And you'll, you know, they, they kind of sell themselves once people see them. Well, that's, uh, you know, I, I'll say like in, in closing here, I really appreciate, you know, I really appreciate the, uh, the forthrightness for what you have presented flocking. I think that's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting perspective and glad to hear, um, somebody kind of talk about it from a holistic perspective relative to other parts of the hunting. Thanks for really walking through the process for us. And, you know, for folks out there interested in getting into this aspect of the waterfowl hunting, which, you know, if you listen to the foul front before you'll hear Ben and I talk a lot about, you know, one of the hobbies about one of the cool parts about waterfowl hunting is it's a hobby within a hobby, you know, and flocking is one of those pursuits that you can pursue yeah. down. You can run down that road as far as you want to go. And the detour, the, the detail is really impressive. Uh, you know, for me, it's boats and all those other things, which, hey, Andy, we'll talk later about rewiring your boat or whatever the case is, because, you know, I run a chop shop on the side. I don't know if you heard about that, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, for those of the listeners out there, check out Two Rivers Counterfeits. Uh, go to their Facebook page. Look at some of their detail. Uh, look at look at some of their products. Look at some of the stuff that Andy's done. Uh, check out these uh, other, you know, companies that he's mentioned. Um, especially the, the Myers and the Homers, like the main USA products. That's, that's great. And, uh, you know, Hey boys, unless you have anything else to add, I, I say we put this one in the books. What do you say? Yeah, I guess, uh, yep. maybe just plug our own stuff real quick. Uh, check out the foul front podcast group on Facebook. We got some good discussions that happen there. Hopefully we can get it running again too. And then we've got an Instagram to foul front. All right. Thomas, you got anything yep. for us? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. No, nah, I think it was a great episode. Thanks for coming on, Andy. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Just, uh, you know, the more that you get into this sport, there's there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, shooting a bird over a decoy that you put blood, sweat, and tears and effort into. So, no matter what it is, immerse yourself and do it and pass it on. Exactly right. Thanks for joining us this time, guys. See you. See you. Exactly right. Thanks for joining us this time, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.